it's just amazing the choices people will make. Uh, honestly, something makes you wonder, how have we even survived as a species? You know, how, how does that happen? Now, here's the thing. I think most of us can identify with the people in the video. Now, maybe you haven't done something stupid like they did, you know, that there's some act or, you know, you didn't climb in a garbage can to go down the driveway or I mean, you haven't done something, that act maybe you didn't do. But you did act on a decision that you later came to regret. And it's like, oh, why did I do that? What did I do? What, what's happening? And, and there are many regrettable decisions, just like those in the video, where we can look back on now and laugh. You know, it's like, yeah, I can't believe I did that, you know, and we have a good chuckle and, la and laugh. But un unfortunately, sadly, there's many decisions in our past that don't have happy outcomes. Um, they don't, they're not funny at all. <clears throat> in fact, some of them, we've had to bear the consequences of those bad choices for the rest of our lives. I mean, it is shaped and, and, done and impacted us in such a significant way. So with, with just that idea in mind, or with the, these thoughts in mind, I think the saying is true. The quality of your decisions determines the quality of your life. Now, for the next four weeks, we're going we're gonna, to, uh, in a series, uh, we're going to talk about choices. And uh, we're going to hopefully help people move on from the hurt and pain of some of the regrettable choices in our past. But we also want to lay a foundation for helping us make good choices in the future. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about making choices. A lot. In fact, there's three books in the Old Testament dedicated specifically to wisdom. In fact, they're known as the wisdom literature in the Bible. Anybody know what they are? Proverbs? Uh, that's a, that's, we, we might think that that's not it one. Surprisingly, Job. Job is considered wisdom literature. And then Ecclesiastes. Okay, Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes are the three books. Proverbs is probably by far the most popular, most common, and known. Um, and, uh, but all three of these books, they reveal the collected wisdom from generations of people, of godly people, and they speak to both the complexity and to the simplicity of life. How do we navigate life? Now, our passage this morning comes from the book of Proverbs, so we're actually going to go look at one of those verses, or one of those chapters, um, chapter 3, uh, to be uh, specific. Now, it's not a long passage. In fact, it's only two verses. And so because of that, I'd actually like us to read it out loud together. So if you'll look at the screen, uh, follow along. We're actually, uh, for your reference, we're looking at Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verses 21 through 23. But we're, this is the message translation. So it's not King James, not NIV. So it may sound different than what you may be used to hearing. But let's read this aloud together, shall we? Dear friend... Guard clear thinking and common sense with your life. Don't for a moment lose sight of them. They'll keep your soul alive and well. They'll keep you fit and attractive. You'll travel safely. You'll neither tire nor trip. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much uh, for your goodness. I'm thankful, Lord, that we... Uh, we have, as Christ followers, we have the opportunity to have the mind of Christ, that we can make good decisions, we can, um, we can live in a way that uh, not only honors you, but actually helps our life to move uh, more peacefully and actually with more joy and happiness. Uh, so Lord, I pray in the next few moments as we unwrap this a bit further, guide my words, but Holy Spirit, I pray that each person hears what they need to hear. And as the name of Jesus, I pray. 
Amen. Now, I feel very fortunate in that I think, I think that I've made mostly good choices in my life. Um, two in particular that I'm, I, I think were beneficial. One is that I gave my life to Jesus at a very early age. I grew up in a Christian home, so becoming a Christ follower was not a life-changing experience. It was a rite of passage, and I'm really grateful for that. It's something I'm, I'm really grateful for, and um, you know, I, when you sign on to follow Jesus, you signed on for life's great adventure. And uh, rather than sometimes the, the, the media, others were portrayed as this life of boring and restrictions, I don't look at it that way. I think, I think this is this opportunity and adventure. What's around the corner? Who, do, who knows? Because we're following a God who is ever-changing. Uh, not changing in who he is, but changing how he interacts with us and changing us, and I love that. Um, the second best decision I think I ever made was uh, asking Be Betsy to marry me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and she, she reminds me of that often. <laughs> Honestly, though, I still wake up every morning and think I'm the most fortunate guy in the world. I just do. I I I am very grateful. For, for her and for having her in my life. And, you know, just as good decisions can bring us great joy and contentment, bad decisions can lead to significant problems and challenges, can't they? In fact, <clears throat> I think the source of most problems in life is the poor decisions we make. Now, if this is true, if problems come from bad choices, then I think it's reasonable to ask, why doesn't everyone just make good choices? You know, really? I mean, if, if that's the why, why do we struggle to make good decisions? Now, I think there's a number of reasons that are, are possible, but among them, I think our one is that we're overwhelmed with choices. <clears throat> you know, we just, there's, um, it's estimated that the average adult makes about 35,000 remotely conscious decisions every day. So that means it's not subconscious. There's, there's, there's a consciousness part of it, but 35,000 decisions each day. Honestly, I think for a lot of us, towards the end of the day, we're just, there's mental and emotional fatigue, depending upon what your days looked like. And I think that fatigue, I think we're just we're tired of making choices. It's like, really? I have to decide, what do we want? You know, if we're out to dinner, it's like, all right, do you want this or that? Do you want to cook this way or that way? Do you want this side dish or that? You know, it's like, just bring me my food, you know. Um, <laughs> You know, you know, some you ever feel that way? We're just, I'm just tired of making choices. Um, I just let someone decide for me. And I just know for me, by like around 9 p.m., 10 p.m., my brain's done. I, I can't really do anything of great substance. I've learned that I do not make big decisions late at night. I'm just not at a place emotionally, mentally to actually process things well. Um, you know, it's always, for me, in that context, it's better for, to, for me to sleep on it and make a decision in the morning. Now, I, I think another facet of being er overwhelmed by choices is that there are just too many options. Um, <laughs> do you know how long it takes me, if I'm, if I'm booking a, a flight, an international flight in particular, you know how long it takes me to make that reservation? Hours. <laughs> Hours it takes me to make reservations. Now, one might think you just go on, just find a flight, the cheapest one, and book it, and you're good. Be done with it. One might think that, 
but one would be wrong um, <laughs> to think that way, especially for international flights. Domestic flights are not as big, but when you got international flights, you've got different carriers, different companies, and there is a difference between the international carriers. You know, so besides price, you've got to think about tr um, total travel time. You know, all right, so from, from point A, from leaving here from Charlotte to going to some other place, you know, some airlines, it, that trip could take you 19 hours, depending on where you're going. Some of it could be 36 hours. That's a big difference. In, okay, so that's one part of it. You've got to think about that. The number of connections is a big deal, especially if you're traveling in the wintertime. Um, weather could be a problem. The length of the layovers. So if you've got to connect in one city, are you going to be sitting in the airport for 30 minutes or eight hours? Um, or what does that look like? Or is it an overnight flight? You know, so they all do. So there's all kinds of things, even to the point of seat configuration. <clears throat> and you can tell I'm a little, a little, yeah, Bessie just shakes her head and rolls her eyes. <laughs> you see, because remember, remember, I'm a nervous flyer, so I need to have the outside seat. I need it for the window seat. Now, so my favorite plane on flying international flights is the Airbus 330, because it's two seats on the outside and then four in the middle, Okay which means if I get the window, I've only got one person to climb over to get out to the aisle if I need to get out, whereas all the other ones, all the Boeing flights, all the Boeing airplanes, all the other ones, it's 343 or 333, three, three, which i got to climb over two people. So again, these are the things going through my brain about trying to make a reservation. Um, so for me, researching all these things and options, and, and, and you never have the perfect flight where it's, this plane, this thing, this, it, it, you've got to, all right, here's the pros and cons, you've got to wait out. And for me, working through all those options can be overwhelming. It can just, it just takes me time to go through it. So again, the question is, why not just pick one and go with it? Well, the obvious reason for that is, what if I make the wrong choice? You know, what if I find out that there was a different flight or better flight, and what if it's the wrong choice, which actually is the second reason why I think people make bad choices, is that we're afraid of making a wrong choice. Now, let me acknowledge the fact that my OCD approach to airline tickets really isn't a big deal, all right? If we're really honest, the simple fact is, even if I pay a little bit more, and even if I'm on a plane a little bit longer, I still get to the destination. I get to where I want to go, which is the ultimate goal of travel in the first place. You get to where you want to go. So in other words, the consequences of making what I might think to be a wrong choice really aren't that significant. I still get there. Now, some of the other decisions we have to make have much more significance. Do I want to spend the rest of my life with this person? Do I quit my job and start my own business? Do we buy this house? Fear of making a wrong choice can have a paralyzing effect on us, can't it? We often end up doing nothing, which is also not always a good choice. But that's what happens. I think a third reason why we struggle to make good decisions is that we're surrounded by the wrong people. Paul captures this really clearly in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. Then he actually goes on to say this. After that, he actually adds to the statement. He's, and he says, and again in this letter, he says, come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. And then he says this, I say this to your shame. But he's talking to me, he says, you know better. You know better. But you're hanging around with people who are influencing you the wrong way and are, and are actually influencing you to make wrong choices and bad decisions. 
Now, Paul is not saying we should avoid non-Christians. He's not saying that we should stop hanging out and being friends with non, uh, non-Christians. Honestly, how else are they supposed to hear about Jesus if they don't have a connection engagement with us? So he's not saying that. Paul is saying be careful who is influencing your life. Be careful who you let help you form and shape your decisions. A person who is not a Christ follower does not have the mind of Christ. They will not be able to give you godly advice. Be friends with them? Absolutely. But someone to take advice from? I'd advise against it. Lastly, I think we struggle to make good decisions because we let emotions overrule logic. Now, let me acknowledge the fact that here, not all decisions are the same, are they? Um, You know, some decisions, the impact is much deeper and the emotions are felt much deeper depending upon the decision. So if I ask you, um, you know, what topping do you want on your pizza? I mean, you might be passionate about having pepperoni, but it's, it's really not a deep emotion. You know, it's, I mean, we don't feel it deeply. It's, we might have a preference, but it's really not that big a deal. But now, again, do I spend my, the rest of my life with this person? No. Yes or no. So it's not yes or, I mean, yes or no. There's a lot of emotion wrapped up in that decision, isn't there? I mean, if a decision's yes, you're all excited. If a decision's no, I mean, that's a really heavy thing to, to weigh on you. And that's a big decision. But too often we make bad decisions because we get caught up in the emotions of the moment. Now, especially if that emotion is anger or fear. And we, we do something rash. We do something without thinking. We react instead of actually responding. And usually we make a rash decision that we later regret. Now, I've learned over the years uh, (laughs) that uh, to never make long-term decisions based on short-term emotions. And part of that is just important to have personal awareness. Um, Again, for me, I've, I've noticed the fact that there's some days where I'm just a little more irritable, I've used that word, and I, if I kind of reflect back and think back, I realize that it wasn't that it was last night I stayed up late or I didn't get much sleep the night before. It was the night before. So for me, there's always a day delay. And so I notice that if I'm up, I'm working on something, and let's say I don't get to bed till 2 a.m., it's not that next day. I'm fine the next day. It's the day after that I'm off. My emotions are just not, I'm just not there. And so I've, no, I've, I've you know, over the years, have just recognized I just need If I'm feeling something that's not necessarily positive, is there something about me, something my behavior that actually have have led to that? Um, The other thing, too, is sometimes I can refer to as occupational awareness. Do you know what day most pastors resign? Monday. (coughs) Monday. All the emotional energy, preparing, going up to Sunday, and, you know, something happens, whatever, and Monday it's this huge emotional letdown there. The um, adrenaline is, you know, it's everything, and they just kind of emotionally crash, and most pastors will resign on Monday. Now, your occupation probably has its own rhythms. You know, when do teachers, you know, when do things happen? So just re- but just recognize that, wait a minute, part of this is just normal. Part of this is just the way we work through things and how we process. So that self-awareness, that uh, personal awareness is a big part of being able to avoid those emotional decisions. I think when we're faced with a decision, the first thing is always to pray. Always to pray and ask God for wisdom. Just acknowledge, God, I need you. I need your help. 
But I think the most important question you can ask yourself is what is the wise thing to do here? What is the wise thing to do? Now, you got to know that the wise choice is not always the easy choice. But it is the best, the better choice. <clears throat> now, I, I think there's also something you can do that will help you make wise decisions. Uh, let me uh, give you a biblical context. Two, two instances here that might that kind of help set this up. In Genesis 22, God goes to Abraham and he says, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now, that's pretty intense. Now, we know from the preceding verse that God was testing Abraham. So he was not wanting Abraham to do it, but he was testing Abraham to see what he would do. Now, we've got to remember, we know the end of the story. We know the story. Abraham in that moment didn't. Abraham was just been given instruction by God to sacrifice his son, the son that was actually promised to him by God. And it was the same son that for whom he had to wait 25 years to see that son actually born. I can only imagine the horror and pain Abraham felt at that moment. I, can, I, I can't, I mean, it's, I, it's even hard to even emotion it. In that moment, Abraham had a choice to make. Do I obey God or do I disobey God? Now, we have no idea what Abraham thought. We don't know what he may have said to God. The writer doesn't uh, elaborate on that at all. All we know is that the very next verse reads like this. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. I don't know what he slept like that night. I don't know what that night, but he responded that way. So that's one source. So keep that in, in mind. The other one is um, we find in the book of Ruth. Uh, in the book of Ruth, we find that there's a famine in Israel. And so there's a man and his wife, Elimelech and Naomi, and their two boys. They go to a neighboring country to escape the famine. <clears throat> Time passes, Elimelech dies, the dad. He dies. Um, the sons grow up, and they marry local women uh, from there. They're not Israelites. More time passes, and both sons die. So now Naomi, the mom, is left with her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And uh, Naomi decides over, you know, to them that she's going to return to her homeland, to her country, her people, and she tells her daughters-in-law to go back to their families. Go back to your families, you know, you'll re, you know, remarry, you know, do that. And in that moment, those two young women have a choice to make. Do they return to their families, which is known, and, you know, understand the culture, the traditions, the language, it's all known. I'm known by them, they're known by me. Or do I go with Naomi to Israel, a country I don't know, I don't know the language, it's a foreign land, and I go there and I hope to find a life there. But again, it's unknown, it's a mystery. What's interesting is that Orpah does take the advice of Naomi and returns to her family. Ruth, however, she gives Naomi, uh, yeah, Ruth gives this response to Naomi. She says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. 
Now, both of those decisions, Abraham and Ruth, had huge implications, huge implications as they faced those, those, uh, those choices. <clears throat> Isaac, we know that Abraham, uh, the son he was supposed to sacrifice, Isaac would become the father of Israel. He would become, through all the generations, the tribes of Israel. And I mean, it was a big, a big thing in God's whole plan of redemption and whole plan for the Israel. Ruth, we know later, was actually the, the lineage of Jesus came through Ruth. So she was part of that lineage through, which, through whom Jesus was born. Now, again, we have the advantage of knowing the end of these stories. We know what's going to happen. And we know that both of them made the right decisions. But in the moment, in that moment, they had to be asking themselves, what am I doing? What am I going to do? What's the right thing? What should I do here? No, I think what enabled them to make the correct life-changing decisions was that something occurred before that moment of truth. There's something that happened ahead of time. Now, as we were talking about this in a sermon team uh, meetings, the phrase that came up um, was that they had to pre-decide what, the, what was going to happen in that moment. So they made a pre-decision. Now, in other words, so both of these stories suggested that there was a decision before the decision. And what I mean by that is what usually happens that w is, well, let me say it this way. What usually happens when we wait until the last moment to make a decision? We usually end up making a rushed one. You know, it's kind of a pressure to want to structure, and sometimes it's often wrong. I, I know for me, um, the Wednesday morning men's Bible study, 6 a.m., okay, when do you think I have to decide that I'm going to attend that meeting? And it's virtual. Yeah, it's not when the alarm goes off. Okay, it has to be done the night before I'm going to attend so that I can set my alarm. Now, to be fair, I can still set the alarm and it goes off in the morning, I shut it off and I go back to sleep. So setting the alarm isn't sufficient, but it has to happen. But there has to be a decision made, I'm going to attend that meeting in the morning. Okay, and so that's, that's and the same thing about church. Most of us being here this morning, you, most of you, I would suspect, didn't wake up this morning saying, all right, I'm going to church. You probably decided last night. Some of you even thought through what the morning looked like, clothes you might wear, all that kind of stuff to get ready. And that's, but that's what we do. We decide ahead of time what we're going to do. And so that's the thing about pre-deciding. It's not always necessarily based upon an action. It's based upon a value, a principle, an idea that we're thinking about. Abraham wasn't laying around one night thinking like this. He wasn't thinking, you know what? If God ever asked me to sacrifice my son, I'll do it. Okay? I can promise you he wasn't laying around thinking that night. I can pretty much guarantee that if Abraham was laying around thinking, if God, whatever God asked me to do, at any point in time, I'll do it. And the reason why we know that, because God asked him to leave his land earlier, to go to a land I will show you. I think that built into Abraham this, this response that I'm just going to trust God. Whatever he asked me to do, I'm going to do it. I will always obey God. <clears throat> Ruth, I don't think Ruth was uh, snuggled up to her husband one night thinking, you know what, if my father-in-law dies, and then if my husband here dies, and Naomi tells me to go home, I won't do it. She's not thinking that way, that specific. That specific. She's thinking, my husband's family is now and forever will be my family. That was a decision she made early on that this is how she identified. So when that moment came up, 
she actually knew, all right, no, I've already made this decision so that when this happened, I know I'm going to respond. Here's the thing I know for certain. We must have conviction if we're going to make wise decisions. If we don't have conviction, we'll be tossed back and forth by whatever circumstances are in the moment. I think Paul summed it up, this challenge, perfectly in Romans 7. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. You ever feel like that? So one thing I know, incredible power, there is incredible power in having godly conviction about how we're going to live our life. And I think the number one conviction we need to have is that we're going to always honor God in whatever we do. Proverbs 16 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. I think each of us should resolve in our own hearts, with God's help, I will determine my course of action before the moment of decision. At work, I will behave respectfully towards other people. I will talk honorably towards other people. I will not cheat customers. I will not cut, make shortcuts. There's the value decisions that are made ahead of time so that when the temptation comes, oh, just do this. It'll be so much quicker, so much easier. It'll save money to do this. No, I can't because of this. We need to resolve in our own hearts that with God's help, I will determine my course of action before that moment of decision. We've got to do that. Now, we've created kind of a little, I don't know say an exercise in your worship guide and your outlines there to help you frame your thoughts, but it's something as simple as this. When faced with blank, whatever the situation might be, I have pre-decided to blank, to take this action. When tempted to do this, I will do this instead. So here's what I know. When your values are clear, your decisions are easier. They really are. Right? Well, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to put someone else at risk. I'm not going to do that. I've already made, this, that, made that value judgment, so the decision's much easier. And when your values are clear, you're not easily deceived. So if your life is moving in the direction of your decisions, the question to ask is, do you like the direction your decisions are taking you? Now, if not, you can do something about it. You can take your life back. You can predecide to live differently. I think all of us should have the attitude that with God's help, we will predecide and determine our course of action before the moment of decision. The other thing, too, I think is worth noting here is that because of what Jesus did on the cross, the, the um, let's say it this way, some of the decisions we made in our past will, will have repercussions, and we have to live with that. But the one of the things we don't have to live with is the guilt and shame of those decisions before God. That's one of the things that, that God promises that when we give our life to him and when we surrender our lives to him and when we ask for forgiveness, he wipes the slate clean. He doesn't just take it and, and never, the thing I noticed is a lot of times if you actually delete things off your computer, it's still there. Okay? That's not what's happening here. Like, oh, you can't never see it, but someone else can bring it up later. No, the, the way it's phrased in the Bible is your sins are, are, are moved as far as the east is from the west, which means it's in, infinite, which means there's, they're gone. There's nothing there. 
Um, another analogy I heard about our sin is that some of us come like every you who, those of us who may have lived in the north right after a snowfall. Just everything's beautiful. Everything's clean and pristine and white, and it's just. But but, and we think well that's what that's what God does. He covers over our sin. No, that's terrible theology. Because we know what happens when that warms up, all that snow melts, and everything that was under there reemerges again. It's gone. Our sin is gone. Our past is gone. We have a fresh start, a clean slate. And so if you're struggling with anything like that, today you can be free of that. You can decide today to no longer live with your past. So yes, our decisions do make a big have big influence, but they're nothing that needs to keep us from moving forward with God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I'm thankful so much <clears throat> for all that you've done for us. And uh, Lord, uh, sometimes we just, we're our own worst enemy, and uh, we get in the way of what you desire to do. And sometimes we do it out of foolishness. Sometimes we do it out of willfulness. Sometimes we do it out of ignorance. Father, I think each of us have things in our past that we wish weren't there, and some of us are dealing with it even today. Uh, but Father, here's what I know. There's nothing that we can do or not do. There's nothing, nothing in our life that you can't redeem for your purposes and for your glory. So Father, take us. Take us. We're broken. We're faulty. We don't always work right. Lord, take us and use us to the best, Father, that you can. Help us, Father, to be able to put away, to put aside, to uh, move on from our past and to not let it hold on to us anymore. We can break free from its hold. Help us instead to hold on to the truth of your grace, of your forgiveness, of your love, of your mercy. And may that be the thing that anchors us as we move forward. <clears throat> uh, so Lord, again, thank you so much. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you, Lord God, that you are there with us. As we uh, go through this week, help us, Father, to make wise choices. Help us to consider you in all that we say and all that we do, that you would be glorified. Uh, so, Father, again, thank you for all these things. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.